Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon from lead pastor Jamie Miller. John chapter 1, verse 29, and if you would stand for the reading of the Word of God. Lord, open our eyes today as we look at these Scriptures and all the other Scriptures we're going to be looking at this morning. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven like a dove and remain on Him. I, I would not have known Him except that the One who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain on is He who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen this and I testify that this is the Son of God. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You guys have a seat. I was just reminded, I did that in first service, I was reminded in some traditions, they always stand for the reading of the Word of God. It's just a way of honoring, you know, honoring the Lord, honoring His Word to us. And so uh, there's a famous painting by a guy named Matthias Grunwald. It was done in 1515. If you go ahead and flash that up. Um, anybody ever seen that? It's on like it's the altar art piece at the altar at the cathedral and originally done for Alsace, France. Is that how you say that word? Alsace, or it's not Alsace, or I, I don't know. So uh, somebody give me a thumbs up, Alsace. And so, uh, so basically this is John the Baptist pointing to Jesus. And how I came across this was this famous theologian from the 20th century named Karl Barth. He, he wrote these, these massive tomes called the dogmatic, dogmatics, church dogmatics. And He had this painting the entire time he was writing, 30 years of looking through the lens of Jesus Christ at Scripture, theology, and trying to interpret God and everything through the lens of Jesus Christ. 30 years. And that painting is hanging right over his writing desk. Isn't that that powerful? You know? And so it's always John the Baptist with that elongated, look, does his finger look extra long? You know? And, but he's point, the point is he's pointing to Jesus, who is, check it out down here at the bottom, the Lamb of God. I, just, I love that. So we're continuing in the Advent series that we're calling Joy to the World, and we've been looking at these behold statements. So behold Emmanuel. Graydon kicked us off a couple weeks ago. Behold Emmanuel. And one of the things I thought was great when Graydon, he said, you know, you wouldn't, God comes into the world as a baby. We don't think like that. We don't, we think God's going to do a rescue mission, you know, action movies and that kind of stuff. You know, hey, get the baby, you know, and, you know, let's go storm the gates, you know, get the babies, you know, and the same thing. So t- last week was, we didn't do a lot on it, but it was behold, my beloved son. We're loved. We're brought into the father and the son's love from all eternity and the shared communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That's what we've been brought into. And so, then uh, today it's behold the Lamb of God, and again it's it's upside down. We don't think we don't think rescue mission get the lambs, you know, or or even get a bunch of lambs, you know, and they're all you know. We don't think that way on rescue missions, and yet this is how God chose to redeem the world, to save us all. 
was through His Son, who is the Lamb of God, slain before the creation of the world. Not just it's mind-blowing that God had this plan. He knew that we would get into all kinds of junk and stuff, and He had a plan to redeem us even before the creation of the world. And again, I'm just saying it, I'm under conviction this week because I, I love looking at Jesus. <laughs> I just, I love it. I'm in love with Him. And He is the passion of my soul and my life. And yet, I realized in looking at the Lamb of God this week, this is a big deal, y'all. We, it's a big deal to look at, look at him even more as the Lamb of God. So it's not in the, it's not like it's in the New Testament just a whole bunch, but then you get to Revelation and it explodes, you know, with the Lamb of God. It's just huge. And so, and I'll just run through the, the references real quick in the New Testament. It's Acts 8, 31 and 32. The, uh, Ethiopian eunuch's riding on a chariot and Philip comes along beside him, says, Hey, what you reading? He says, I'm reading from the scroll of Isaiah. He's reading Isaiah 53, you know, that this, this passage about the lamb being led to the slaughter. And he goes, but I don't know what it means unless somebody explains it to me. And so he invites uh, Philip up into the chariot and he preaches the gospel to him. He gets saved. He's baptized. There's water. And then he's transported off to uh, some place about 20 miles away. Philip was. Then in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, there's another reference to Christ who is our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. We're supposed to remember the Passover, but it's the, this Passover lamb, the, the, the Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb, and not the old feast with wickedness and malice, but the new feast that is with sincerity and truth. That's the way we remember Jesus. Then you roll the clock forward into Hebrews, and Hebrews doesn't mention lamb one time which is interesting because it talks about the blood of Christ all through it, right? And we are, we are saved, we're set free, we're forgiven by the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Amens are appropriate there. And uh, so then 1 Peter. 1 Peter rolls along and he, he talks about this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. You were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, that you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sakes. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. And so we now we obey the truth and we live lives of love for one another. That's what he goes on. He says, okay, so this is what you do. Obey the truth and love one another deeply from the heart. That's how you live this thing out. That's what he's telling us there. And he is precious to us. But then in Revelation, man, I mean, everything, turn to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. It's this incredible worship scene. Who's the angel stands up? Who's worthy to break the seal and open the scroll? In verse 6, chapter 5, verse 6, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls of incense 
and shouted the prayers of the saints and they sang a new song. I mean, this is just mind-blowing. I mean, really, it's mind-blowing. And if you ever go, sometimes you go, it's kind of loud in here in worship. This is actually what's coming. It's really loud. I, I just and, and have you ever just thought, like, I wish we wouldn't sing that chorus again? Earlier in chapter 4, it says, day and night, they never stop singing, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. That's a, just a parenthesis. Let's get back. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open the seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe, language, nation, and people. And you made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, they sang, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them singing. To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Wow. Wow, man. Just Lord, would you just open our hearts to see this, to participate in this. You see, in Him, heaven and earth come together. He's... Tear the temple down. Rebuild it. He's going to rebuild it in three days. He is heaven and earth meeting. He is the the overlapping of the kingdom that's now in the kingdom that's coming. He is the overlapping of this age with the age that's to come. That's our king. That's next week's sermon. Some of that. Just But Christ the King is coming. Keep going. Revelation 7. I'm going to get to the sermon part in just a minute. But Revelation 7... You know, it's like there's this multitude of people in white robes praising God. And their robes have been cleansed with the blood of the Lamb. Talk about some detergent for our souls, right? Isn't that good news? Revelation 12, the accuser of the brethren, of the brethren. I was going to say brothers and brethren, I'm sorry. The brethren. Oh, come on. <laughs> Help me. So the, the accuser is he's constantly before the throne, accusing the brothers before God. And so whenever you sense that accusing thing rising up and you go, whoa, whoa, whoa that's, that's the enemy. The enemy is always wanting to point fingers and, and point, and rather than praise God. But they overcame him, it says in verse 11 of chapter 12, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Praise the Lord. Overcoming the enemy, man, the victory. So again, there's that lamb, and you see the picture of the lamb a lot of times, uh, like the Moravians, it was their logo. They, uh, we are victorious and we follow the lamb. He is victorious. The lamb is victorious, we follow him. The way that way that goes. Revelation 19, it's the wedding feast of, of the Lamb. There's this great banquet that's coming, this, sac, this, this uh, uh, celebration that's coming when we're face to face with Him. In Revelation 21, we are called, the church is called the bride of the Lamb. 
that interesting? Just interesting mix of metaphors and ways of understanding. We're the bride of the Lamb. Go to the very end. Revelation 21, verses 22 and 23. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. I mean, just like... This is, this is awesome. So uh, what I'm saying is we need to rethink. We need to recalibrate the way we see Jesus and make sure that we're seeing Him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So let's, let's, I mean, part of the reason, why is that so important for us? Why is His identity so important as the Lamb of God? I'm going to just throw four words at, and we'll come back to these again and again through this time here. But the first one is forgiveness. Because we need forgiveness. And forgiveness comes through the blood that was shed of the Lamb of God. We need deliverance. You know, we can't be delivered without forgiveness. And we're going to see that again as we look at the story of the Israelites this morning. But forgiveness, deliverance, and then out of deliverance comes worship. You can't really be set free to worship when you're living in bondage and in a dungeon. But then you're set free... Forgiveness, deliverance, worship, and then you can receive and give love, which is what we're called the bride, the, the romantic interest, the focal point of Jesus' love is for His bride. Okay, so we've been brought into all of that. So, so in, in everything, I, I loved, I, I got to hear a little bit of, the, we had a little conference going on with some leaders, young adult leaders from around the, the movement. And uh, yeah, actually, there's some of these guys are here visiting with us. We're glad you guys are here today. And uh, but Brandon Seibert stood up and he, he just said, and, and there was like anointing on my brother, man, when he just stood up to talk about prayer and intercession and us just Thanksgiving worship intercession. And he started talking about worship and just saying, Jesus, you're worthy. We, we come in with Thanksgiving, but then we say, Jesus, you're worthy. Jesus, you are worthy. God, you're father, you're worthy. You're worthy to receive our honor and glory and power and praise. You're worthy. And something happens when we do worship. We're changed in worship. We're changed when we worship and experience God's love. So here's, here's the main thing this morning. We behold the Lamb of God, which we're told to do. Look, the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. And we do that by remembering the story of God in order to save, savor the, and I wrote down, deliverance of God. But I also, beside that, I put in parentheses the freedom of God, the love of God, the life of God, the plan of God, the economy of God, to know the glory of God, to savor all of those things. It's, the, it's just we behold the Lamb by remembering the story. So let's talk about the story this morning. Everybody good? This is good news, by the way. <laughs> Amen. So Jesus is introduced in John, and then he goes around, all the Gospels have him, they, 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 they show him going around announcing the Gospel of the Kingdom, proclaiming the good news, the Gospel of the Kingdom. And what does he do? He goes out and he touches lepers, dirty, lepers, unclean. He casts demons out of people, sets free, people free from the, from the oppression of the enemy of our souls. He proclaims forgiveness of sins all over the place. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Who can do that but God alone? You're forgiven. Exactly. 
You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. So all of that's going on. And then he resolutely sets his vision on getting to Jerusalem at Passover time. Luke points that out. He set set out resolutely for Jerusalem. And he's going at Passover time. And at Passover time there, he confronts the religious leaders. And he confronts the temple system, the religious system. He's confronting all that. And then on Passover, the Passover night, that Thursday, he gathers in the upper room with his disciples. And the interesting thing is, he doesn't, you know, when we're talking about the cross and things, there's lots of theories and models for that today, but Jesus doesn't give a theory. And he doesn't give a model and he doesn't give a metaphor. He gives a meal. Isn't that just powerful? This meal that we just shared, we're still remembering what he did for us. He said, whenever you do this, I want you to remember me. And it's so loaded and thick with meaning. It's just mind blowing. And you have to, and you'll, it's, it's about the cross. It's about the bread. It's about the cup. Let's do this in remembrance of me. But if we don't understand the story, we'll misunderstand the meaning of what's going on. So we have to go back and look at what's the story? What's going on there? There's always been a slain lamb at the center of the Passover. That's what the thing is about. That's what the meal's about. That's how the deliverance happens. So let's tell the story. The Israelites, they were in captivity. They'd gone to Egypt and they were in captivity. They were under these taskmasters and oppressors and they were crying out to God, God, deliver us. Set us free from this bondage that we're in. And so God raises up a man. Just, sorry. And so God raises up a man named Moses. And he says, you're going to go help get my people free. And even really Moses like a type of Jesus that's coming to set people free from bondage. And so over and over again, I wrote the references down in, in, in Exodus. I'm not going through those because it's just it's, it's a bunch. But those passages over and over again, they say the same thing. Let my people go so that they can go worship. Let my people go out of bondage so that they can worship over and over and over again. Pharaoh's hearts hardened. Ultimately, the last plague comes. This, the firstborn is, is threatened there. And so they have the Passover meal. And I'm going to just read a little bit from that first Passover meal, the instructions. Exodus chapter 12, verse 21 and following. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and then put some on the, of the blood on the top of the door and on the sides of the door frame. And not one of you shall go out of his house until morning. And when the Lord goes throughout the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the tops and sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses or strike you down. So that's exactly what happened. And they are delivered. They're delivered out of Egypt through the Red Sea, right? That's kind of a baptism picture. Into the wilderness. It's kind of a story of, the, of our lives still. Out of bondage, sometimes traveling the wilderness. And then ultimately, 40 years later, they go into the promised land, the land of inheritance. But right when they first go into the, the, uh, into the wilderness, they go to Mount Sinai. 
And there they're given a covenant from God. Do these things. Don't do these things. This law. And He makes a covenant with them. He's going to be their God. They're going to be His people. The first thing they do, even while He's up on the mountain still, is idolatry. And they start building, the, I don't know, it's just this golden calf came up out of the stuff. And, oh, let's, you know. And that is such a temptation that still goes on all around fallen humanity all over the world is idolatry. Idolatry is the thing that exposes our sin. You know, when we sin, we're already, there's an idol already in there. It's something we've chosen instead of the satisfaction that only God can bring into our lives. It's what we were made for. We were made to know God and to not worship idols. I always think it's interesting that at the end of 1 John, anybody like 1 John? Isn't that a great letter? There's several of us. Um, and there we go. Come on. And, but it ends, John goes, at the very end, he says, and dear children, keep yourselves from idols. That's the way the whole thing ends. It's because this, this is a big deal, this, this idolatry that exposes sin that leads to exile. And that's what he told them. So in Deuteronomy 28 and 29, now roll the clock forward 40 years, they're about to go into the promised land. And they, they cross the Jordan River and they end up at a place, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And I've been to many places in the Holy Land, but I actually stayed in Nablus for a week one time with me and Brent Mitchell and Jimmy Seibert. And uh, Chris, this guy we were staying with at the time, took us out to Jacob's well, and then we were just kind of standing out there and we were looking at these two hills, little mountains. They're not big, tall things, but it was Gerizim and Ebal, literally standing there looking, and blessings were pronounced over, over Gerizim. It's green, it's got trees growing, people live there. Ebal, bald as a, uh, whatever the expression is. Yeah, there's, just, just, <laughs> there's just nothing growing on it at all. That's where the curses were pronounced. Isn't that interesting? Like to this day, 3,000 years later, 3,400 years, whatever. And uh, just kind of mind-blowing like that, that, there it is. And so he says, he promises blessings if you obey. And if you break the covenant, he says there's going to be curses that come and ultimately you're going to be exiled from the land. And that's really important for us to remember that the Israelites are exiled. And so, uh, but God makes a promise. Deuteronomy 29, this is right in the middle of all those uh, those uh, those blessings and curses that were happening. Deuteronomy 29, verse 12. You are standing here. This is Ebal and Gerizim. You're standing here in order to enter into a covenant with the Lord your God. A covenant the Lord is making with you this day and sealing with an oath to confirm with you this day as His people that He may be your God and as, as He promised and he, as He swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm making this covenant with its oath not only to you who are standing here in the, today in the presence of the Lord, our God, but also with those who are not here today. And so sure enough, they break the covenant and they are ultimately exiled. And you know the story. It's like all this idolatry and sin and worshiping idols and sacrificing their kids on, up on top of mountains and stuff and all these vile uh, idols and stuff. And so, But God says, one day though, you're going to turn. You're going to turn back to me. And on that day, I'm going to circumcise your hearts. And now we're getting to New Testament language. He says that there in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love Him with all your soul, with all your heart and with all your soul and live. And so he says there on the tail end of that, 
Choose life. Choose life and not death. And then even a little bit further there, he says, this word is very near you. This is Deuteronomy 30, verse 14. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart so that you may obey it. Paul picks that up in Romans 10 and says, this is how we know the Lord. He reveals Himself to us and we believe in Him with our hearts. We confess Him with our mouths. Everybody tracking? So roll the clock forward several hundred years. And the idolatry happens, the sin happens, and then in about 750 or so B.C., the Assyrians start coming against the Israelites. And they start attacking them. 900, 800 B.C., along in there. And so they're starting the beginning of exile as they're starting to be taken away by the Assyrians. And ultimately, that exile is brought to a culmination when the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, take them away and just bring everything to they tear everything down and bring Jerusalem to a wasteland so all of that's all of that's happening where am i at in the story uh yeah so the exile starts and then and then uh Daniel prophesies in Daniel 9 that 70 years later they're going to come back and so they start coming back with Ezra and Nehemiah this is all part of the story Ezra and Nehemiah but even though they're coming back it's not like they're really returned from exile you know it's like they're still under the thumbs of the Greeks or under the thumbs of the Romans. And so back about 750 or so, Isaiah starts prophesying about what's going to happen and how the Lord is going to bring redemption to the Israelites and for the Israelites. So part of the problem is that the Israelites were supposed to be this light for the nations. They were supposed to be God's representative to all the other nations of God, but they couldn't do it. They ended up being just like everybody else. And so God says, I'm going to send my servant my servant who's going to just bring all that I intended for the Israelites to focus and to bear in one person. To one person. But also, all of the sin and the consequences of the sin also get brought to bear in one person who takes that upon himself. So in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1, and really just read Isaiah 40 to 66. Just read that and think about Jesus and it will bless your soul. That's a little tip. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or his voice, or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. Good news. So similar kind of passage. Again, you can roll your way through a lot of these chapters, but in 49, Isaiah 49, the suffering, the servant of the Lord, verse 6, he says, Is it too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, to bring back those of Israel I've kept? I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, so that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And so there it is. That's Jesus. That's what's quoted about Jesus. And Isaiah is prophesying this way, way back in there, looking forward to his coming. And this is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, kings will see you and rise up. Princes will see you and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful. The Holy One of Israel has chosen you. Who has chosen you. And he gets, goes on and talks about what this looks like, what this restoration is going to look like. Come out. Get out of darkness. Be set free. Get out of the bondage. Walk with me. 
And then down to verse 14. But Zion says, the Lord has forgotten me, forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Verse 15, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Now, for everybody that's had babies, you know the, the kind of love that he's talking about. That love between a mother and child. That's what God is saying. Can a mother forget that, that baby? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I've, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. And so what he's saying there is there's this promise coming. And it's a promise that is announced with good news. In fact, the people, chapter 52, verse 7, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation and say to Zion, your God reigns. means He's the King. You rejected Him, but He is King. And I'm getting into next week. He is the Lord who is the King. So, when the Lord returns to Zion, li- listen, you, you watchmen, lift up your voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare His holy arm in the sight of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. And from that great declaration of the good news of God, the Gospel, then he moves into Isaiah 53, which is the suffering servant. Like, you just don't, you don't think lamb. And you don't think dying for everyone. And that's exactly God's plan. The suffering servant, verse 4 of 53. Surely He took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered Him stricken by God smitten by Him and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. (laughs) Praise God! We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to His own way. But the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet He did not open His mouth. He was like He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. I mean, this is just this incredible picture of what God has done for us in sending His Son Jesus to be the Lamb of God who dies for the sins of the world. He is the representative Israelite who takes on Himself. He's the representative substitute not only for Israel, but for all of us. Isn't that great news? It's like great news, man. Like Jesus did that. All that, all that focused stuff that, that needed to happen in order to bring the Israelites out of exile, but it's not just bringing them out of exile. It's bringing us out of exile. It's all people. All nations is what this word is for. Jeremiah, then writing right about the time Nebuchadnezzar uh, kind of finishes up the, the, the first exile there, is Jeremiah's prophesying that this is gonna, there's coming a time when God's going to do a new covenant and change things. Verse chapter 31, verse 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. I will, it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. And this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds 
I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. This is like, this is just, I'm just beside myself thinking about the Lamb of God and how exciting this is for us. This is incredible good news because then when Jesus comes, resolutely sets his heart on, on Jerusalem, he goes as the Passover Lamb for us. Like, so all of that stuff that was back there pointing in this direction, the key thing for us to understand here is that Israel was in exile. They couldn't get, they couldn't get out of bondage without forgiveness of sins. So, I mean, they could try to get out from under the Romans or the Greeks or whoever, but they couldn't get out of exile without forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus comes to bring forgiveness of sins and then deliverance from exile so that they come to the true inheritance that's in Him. It's just, and, and, and it's ultimately, it's not just about land over in the Middle East, you guys. Paul makes that clear in Romans 4. It's the promise to Abraham given concerning the whole world. He's just re-clarifying the whole thing, reinterpreting the whole thing. This promise that went through Israel got focused down into the person of Jesus and is now for humanity. It's good news for all of us that Jesus Christ went ahead and became our Lamb that we remember to this day. He is the Passover Lamb for us. Takes away the sins of the world. Look! Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's good news. And so now when he says, we do this meal, remember me. Remember me. We've been looking back 1,400 years this whole time, remembering what happened back then. But on that Thursday night, he said, get ready. From now on, you're going to remember what I'm doing tomorrow. It's just, it's a blow away. Remember me when you drink this cup, when you eat this bread. It's my body that was given for you. It's my blood that was shed for you. And it's good news. We have been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is good news. It's just, it's good news. And it's so good news. It's like this. When we get in performance mentality, and some of you guys had a good week, some of you guys had a bad week, some of you guys blew it and messed up somehow. I, I don't know. But it's like we think that we can condition God to forgiving us by the way we act. We, can, we don't condition God. He forgives us. Now, he calls us to repent and live a life that's in line with Him, but it's not our performance that's going to change His mind about us. <laughs> he loves us! He loves us! He forgives us. It's good news. He's the Lamb of God. Behold Him. So, do you need forgiveness? Behold the Lamb of God. Do you need freedom? Deliverance? To be set free? Behold the Lamb of God. Do you need worship to break up and out and into and through your world, your sphere, your life, your mind, your heart, behold the Lamb of God. Do you need this Father's love to be known in a bigger and better way that's then touching the spheres around you that you have influence in? Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Y'all stand up. Amen.
Okay, so we're going to just take a few minutes here and respond to God. And in the first service, someone came up. We had a, had a word about significance. And I just want to, I'm going to say a number of different things to respond to here. But um, I just want to say, if anybody's struggling with significance, part of how we come into identity and knowing what God's made us to be is to look to Jesus, who, is, who, who died for us, who gives us forgiveness and freedom. And so if that's you on the significance front, I just want to, we want you to be able to respond to God. There's people, we, we do this every week. People are coming up, they'll pray for you. And if the front fills up, then just pray for each other. Because it's like this. Some, some of us are coming in and it's a good season. Praise God. Pray for other people. If it's a really good season for you, if it's a hard season or a hard week, then get prayer. Get prayer. And in all of these things, let's turn our hearts in a fresh way to a revelation of Jesus as the Lamb of God. He really is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You need to know Him, to walk with Him, to receive His forgiveness, deliverance, worship, love, all of that. Then come and get prayer. Let's press into the Lord. Let's take a few minutes and do this. Father, meet us here today. And just I, I just I see this being a day of breakthrough for somebody here today. Just don't don't hesitate. Just run forward. I mean, run with your heart given to God. Lord, change us, mold us, make us, transform us, conform us. Have your way in us. We, we repent where we need to turn from idols, from sin. And we thank you. While we were still sinners, you died for us. So just come, press into the Lord. Get prayer. We need you, Jesus. Say it, believe it, mean it. We turn to you, Lord. Thank you that you died for the sins of the world. The sins of the world. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.